So kind of an opening discussion question as you're finding a place to land. You kind of figured it out from my prayer probably. We're talking about our citizenship in heaven. It's worded a few ways in scripture, citizen of God's kingdom, of the kingdom of the son of his love. There's a few phrases that uh, scripture uses for our citizenship, and we'll talk a little bit about those. Um, But as we open, let's just think about what it means to be a citizen. So what are some things that come to mind? What does it mean to be a citizen? And of course, our primary application will be a, a citizen of the U.S., right? So that's our that's our context right now. So what does it mean to be a citizen? Mr. Seymour, in fifth grade, said it was two things, rights and responsibilities. Rights and responsibilities. Okay. All right. Very good. Mrs. Seymour, you said? Okay. Credit where credit is due. Yeah. Bill. Probably the most important thing I can think of is the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Okay. Okay, right, so we have those documents. We have those documents that guarantee us the, the right, eternal right, to have those. those okay, documents. okay, good. So, so yeah, good. Jay. Sense of belonging. Okay, sense of belonging, good. Pledge of Allegiance, yes, very good. What else? Taxes, yeah, I was going to say, I was like waiting, how long is the day after, no, two days after they were due, so what is this going to go up? Yes, taxes, that falls into the responsibilities side of Kevin's rights and responsibilities, yeah. What else? Defense, protection, right, good. What else? Yeah, Timothy. Allegiance. Allegiance. Oh, allegiance. Good. What else? Yeah. Uh huh. Yes. System of justice to protect the innocent. And what was the other half of that? Punish the guilty. Yo, protect us from the guilty. Yeah, good. Yeah. We're just um, blessed to live in this country. Okay. Yeah, a lot of blessings that come along with this specific citizenship. Sure. Andrew. Living over in another country, whenever things have happened with, like, the government in America, we were immediately connected to it, good or bad. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Association, connection, right. Yep. Good. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. But they're enjoying all of the privileges. Sure. Right. But I, I have the opportunity to vote. Yes. I have a, a say. I'm yes. Official, official member. member. Right. Oh, I don't have it on me. I'm looking for my ID, right? But yeah, you've got some form of ID maybe to prove it. Passport or driver's license or whatever. Some official government ID. Yes, I'm officially in. Right. Mm-hmm. Infrastructure. Yeah. You know, it's nice to be able to drive on pavement rather than mud roads. And yep. Have running water and things like yes, that. Yes, infrastructure. Right. So all that's that's roads and water and gas and all the different aspects of that make life comfortable. Right. Yeah. 
Good. Yeah, we've hit on a lot of the things. Uh, oh, yeah, Linda. Okay. And those who are not born in the country uh, learn to identify with the system of that country, uh -huh. the laws of that country. Uh huh. Right. Yeah. So you can be born into it as a citizen, or you can adapt to it, you know, or, or kind of become a citizen over time. Yeah. Right. Good. Good. Yeah. Right. Yep. Good. Good. Great. Great comments. Well, I just wanted to get the wheels turning a little bit in this idea of citizenship. So um, some, some, you'll see some aspects translate, but in, in other ways, citizenship in God's kingdom is its own thing as well. So um, you know, I, hopefully you'll see that as we work through it tonight, but it is fantastic. So we've, uh, we've been thinking about who we are, first as humans, and then in Christ. I had to make the font smaller because our list is getting long. Uh, so there's the review. It's on your notes as well. Last week, we covered that final one. We're a member of his body, the church, and we have grace from God to serve, to do our part for his glory. Uh, and so uh, that was kind of what we discussed last week. So as I mentioned tonight, we're thinking about being citizens of God's kingdom. Citizens of God's kingdom. Uh, so here's a question uh, for discussion. Maybe, maybe too obvious, we'll see. But can you be born by natural birth into citizenship in God's kingdom? No, you can't. All right, you, but you can be born again into citizenship, right? So kind of a trick question there, but yeah, very good. All right, so no, we are not worthy of God's kingdom, and unlike earthly, uh, earthly nations or kingdoms where I think it was mentioned, you know, um, maybe you've traveled to another country and you get to benefit from, you know, the infrastructure of that country, or you get to benefit, and you know, you might be there on a visa or on, you know, official documentation and so forth, but, you know, there's kind of you can kind of be in or sort of in based on your country and so forth. With God's kingdom, it's just very clear. You're in or you're out, right? And we are all naturally unworthy of his kingdom. So let's go to our first text for the night, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter 6. Now, the word kingdom, excuse me, the word kingdom doesn't actually come up until verse 10, but it's sort of, I think, been on the Apostle Paul's mind since uh, the beginning of chapter 6, because he actually there begins talking about the reason that we should not sue or take to court a brother or sister in Christ. And so if you look at verse 2, he gives the reason we don't take each other to a secular court, he says, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you, are you, un, 
worthy to judge the smallest matters. I think he's actually looking forward to the millennial kingdom when the saints, the church, will reign with Christ and be a part of the ruling structure during that time period. And so I think he has kingdom on his mind, uh, even, even starting off this section and saying, look, if you've got God's spirit, then you'll be counted on to judge in the kingdom. And so why would you go to a you know, unregenerate, he doesn't use that word here, but an unregenerate court system when you with God's spirit should be able to figure out you know, what's going on. It's kind of the logic he's using here. Well, so in the context that continues to unfold and we come down to verses 9 and 10, which is what we'll be looking at. He says this, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Uh, Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. So first we look at that list and we're like, ha, yeah, none of them will inherit the kingdom of God. Um, It's very clear there will be no unrighteousness in his kingdom. But if we pause to reflect on that list, we realize, oh, wait a second, I am also the unrighteous. And this is what he writes to the Corinthians in verse 11. Such were some of you. In fact, he's being generous there. Such were all of you, right? We were all unrighteous. Uh, so, So how then can we be given access to this kingdom? Well, verse 11 explains. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. So, big idea, unrighteousness, not in the kingdom, cannot be allowed, which is bad news for all of us. Good news, Christ, by his death and resurrection, offers washing, sanctification, justification, which as we've studied in this course already, is to be declared righteous. Yes. And so, we're given access to this kingdom because of Christ. We don't earn it. We don't, you know, there's not like some citizenship course we can take to qualify. There's not a test you have to pass. It's just Jesus and his righteousness. Pretty cool. Okay, so uh, I must be declared righteous to inherit the kingdom. Justified is the short word for that. I can't earn it on my own. I cannot be perfectly righteous on my own. It has to be a work of Christ. Washed, sanctified, justified. Interesting note that I'll just point out, verse 10, he's talking about those that will inherit the kingdom of God, which reminds us the specific kingdom that he talks about with reference to our citizenship is still coming. There's a sense in which God has this like universal kingdom that he's always had and always will have. He reigns supreme over all things, and so there's that sense of his kingdom But here we're actually talking about a a, a literal kingdom that is still coming that people still have yet to inherit. Okay, and so that'll be a theme that comes up as we go. So a couple points we gain from this text. First, I am not worthy on my own. No one unrighteous is allowed in the kingdom. So on my own, I cannot be in. You got these three words, right? I have to be washed, sanctified, justified, declared righteous. There's another piece of the puzzle. Uh, 
in God's fun timing. I read this verse this morning for my devotion, so that was kind of fun. Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10. This is uh, the scene around the throne when they're looking for someone worthy to open the scroll of God's judgment on the world. And uh, finally, the Lamb steps forward and goes to the throne and takes the scroll. And the elders and the four creatures begin singing a new song. Here it is in verses 9 and 10 of Revelation 5. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Now there's a few um, textual variants there. That phrase made us kings. Your Bible might say made us a kingdom. Uh, That's another uh, reading of that. The idea is the same. God has made us a special people by his blood. Uh, It's redemption that plays a part in that process and looking forward to that reigning with Christ on the earth, that literal kingdom uh, that will come. So uh, your blank for that one is, uh, must be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You must be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That's part of how He uh, calls us into His kingdom. Scripture also talks about God making us citizens. So it's Christ's work that makes us righteous and able to be citizens. And then God actually like, gives us the ID card, so to speak. Okay, So uh, two passages here. Let's go first to uh, Colossians 1.13. And then uh, is somebody willing to go to Ephesians 2.6 at the same time for us? Larry, thank you. All right, so let's look first at um, Colossians 1.13. So actually, I'm going to read verse 12 as well. It correlates here. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us or transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. So it's God who released us from the kingdom of darkness, bondage to sin and death, and has conveyed us or transferred us into the kingdom of Christ. Now, this kingdom's not yet here, and yet we're already given citizenship, okay? So it's kind of an interesting way, and Ephesians 2.6 is a verse that helps us uh, with that. So, Larry, if you'd read that for us. Okay, raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. So it has to do with our union with Christ. Because we're united with Christ, there in Ephesians 2.6, it says we're already seated with him in the heavenly realms. Well, we know here we are still here. Um, And so I think the fact that our citizenship is done and sealed, transferred, as he says here in Colossians 1.13, has to do with our union with Christ. Yes, we are still here and live here on earth, but our true citizenship is in that future kingdom. Pretty cool. Um, All right, so your blank for those two was, I am made a citizen by God. I am made a citizen by God. 
he conveys us, transfers us into the kingdom of the son of his love. And it's done. It's completed. We have our ID cards. You have your passport or, you know, whatever terminology you want to use. Uh, It's done. Your papers are in order. Uh, You're in if you've trusted in Christ as Savior. Pretty cool. All right, so here's where things start to get interesting. I have not yet inherited the kingdom. Now, a few passages that make this uh, really clear. Um, Let's see here. Would somebody be willing to open to 1 Corinthians 15.50? And then somebody else, Galatians 5.21. Okay, Del, would you do 1 Corinthians 15.50? And who would do Galatians 5.21 for us? Titus, thank you. Two texts we'll read here. The Matthew text is another helpful one. Uh, yeah, maybe a fun one to read on your own. We won't go to that one tonight, but just for the sake of time, let's do these two. Go ahead, Del. Now I say this, brethren, the question of what nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Okay, so this is another reminder. This kingdom is still future. Flesh and blood don't inherit this. In fact, it will be a part of our being changed into glorified bodies before we inherit this kingdom, right? So that's part of the timing of it. It's still coming, still future, right? Galatians 5.21. Okay, right. So it's still yet to be inherited. It hasn't happened yet. It's still future, still waiting to inherit this kingdom. So this leaves us with just an interesting, in an interesting position, right? So we are citizens of this future kingdom, and yet it's not here yet. It's, we've not inherited it. It's not come. And so uh, Scripture calls us in places uh, sojourners and pilgrims, right? We're strangers in a foreign land. We are waiting for that future kingdom. Uh, And so we'll go to a few passages here that help us think that through, what it looks like. But I just want to discuss that with you. So what does it look like as a Christian for our primary citizenship to be our citizenship in God's heaven? right? In God's kingdom. I combined, combined the wrong terms there. But anyway, we're citizens of heaven. What does that look like for a Christian living on earth today? How, does that, how do we express that, that my primary citizenship is in heaven? What might that look like? Yeah. Um, first Peter uh, 4, 1-4 says it's reserved in heaven for us. So yeah. It's there for us. That's right. So it's reserved. It's kept. Yeah. So we're, we're, you know, looking forward to that. There's this sense of hope and security. Yeah. Good. Good. What else? Yeah. I see 2 Corinthians 5 talks about us being ambassadors. Okay. Good. So we represent our country where we're from. Yeah. In the foreign countries. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We represent our country, right? Our homeland here in this country. Uh, and yeah, I, I mean, I'm thankful that our heavenly citizenship and our uh, American citizenship are, you know, not mutually exclusive, right? We can be citizens of both, thankfully. That works out well. Um, but our primary one is our heavenly citizenship. And so, yeah, our, our task is to represent 
uh, our country, our home country, you know, and I'm pointing up in re representing heaven. Yeah, good. Ambassadors. What else? Yeah, Michael. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So, yeah, sometimes uh, you can tell where someone's from by what they've been cooking and what they've been eating, right? Yeah. So we ought to have an aroma, so to speak. Yeah. That's, yeah. Actually, the Apostle Paul uses that illustration that we have aroma of Christ where we go, uh, that people sense where we're from. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Seeking things above. That's our homeland. Right? Yep. Good. Yeah, Timothy. As you said, our citizenship in heaven and on earth are not mutually exclusive, but because it is our primary citizenship, there's a sense in which we're aliens and strangers in this world, and we can have a set, uh, sense of unsettledness yeah. and feeling that we're not totally at home because we're not yet in our primary land. That's right. That's right. Yep. We will not fully be comfortable here nor should we seek to be fully comfortable here, nor should we be surprised that we're not fully comfortable here. We're not home. Yeah. Nor should we seek to be. <laughs> home here is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Good. Yeah, Janae. It doesn't yeah. make sense why you don't want that or you're not pursuing that. Right. Yes. Yep, she said, the things of earth will grow strangely dim, right? There's that this longing for the future, a sense of peace about what we have or don't have here in this life. Yeah, good, 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 excellent thoughts, excellent thoughts. So yeah, there is a clear distinction. One of them that I like to think about is in the, even in the gathering of the body of Christ, the, even a local church, here we have a gathering of heavenly citizens. So like, it literally is a little taste of home, right, when we're here together. Does that make sense? It's like, you know, if you, if you I don't know, I'm trying to make some other scenario up, but it's an embassy. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is your safe place, right? I mean, it's where we gather and we talk about home and we get excited about home. And if you can imagine being in a foreign country, maybe you've been in the military and, you know, posted in a foreign nation or... Um, you know, maybe you've spent some time somewhere else and you find another American, right? And so you chat a little while about whatever, hamburgers, you know? I mean, it's just something that you have in common. And how cool is it that here we have this, um, there's, yeah, outpost or embassy of God's kingdom, kingdom citizens here together. And I think that's really fun uh, when, when the church gathers that sense of here are people that get it. Their home is elsewhere, like me. And, uh, and there's, there's fun camaraderie in that. So, yeah, good. All right, so uh, last half here, I want to think about specifically how we live, or at least what the Bible says, about how we live now as citizens of heaven. Okay, so I live now as a citizen of heaven. So even though the kingdom is not here yet, I am currently a citizen of heaven. And that changes how we live. In fact, Scripture talks a lot about this. Uh, as you see in the list of passages we have to go to. Uh, so in order to try to get these in, I think right now I'm actually going to assign them out and so that we can kind of work through them quickly. All right, so if you want to be prepared to do some scripture reading, here we go. Um, let's see, first, 
Uh, let's do 1 Thessalonians 2.12. Somebody willing to go there? Okay, Renee, thank you. I think we're all going to go to Philippians 3 together, so we'll hold off on that one. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 4 and 5. Who would do that one for us? Richard, thank you. Uh, Hebrews 12, 28. Timothy, thank you. James 2, 5. Dell, thank you. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. Carrie, thank you. Rod, since you were willing, do you want to do 11 and 12? This is the next two verses, okay? Uh, oh. Well, yeah, let's, let's stop there for now. All right. So let's all first go to Philippians. If you have your finger holding a spot, feel free to keep it there. Uh, but yeah, we'll start in Philippians here. Chapter 3, verse 20. Here's where the Apostle Paul sort of builds the logic of this idea of living as citizens of heaven. And so you'll notice in verse 20, he says, For our citizenship is in heaven, uh, from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So you got the present tense. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we're waiting for Jesus to come from heaven. So there's this eagerly awaiting, it's almost eyes to the sky kind of living, looking for our Lord to come from our home uh, and so that we can forever be with him, right? So this is sort of the perspective of the citizen of heaven here on earth waiting for the Lord to return. Um, All right, let's pause. And who had 1 Thessalonians 2.12? Renee, thank you. Okay, walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So we're supposed to live as those who are called into his kingdom, to walk worthy of our citizenship. So it does have some responsibilities. It does have some ways that we should live uh, to show that we're citizens of heaven. All right, so back in Philippians chapter 3, I want you to notice a little more about the context here. Verse 20 is an explanation. It begins with the word for. For our citizenship is in heaven. So he's kind of answering a question. Well, what, what is, why did he explain verse 20? Well, it begins with verses 17 through 19. He says, Join in following my example and note those who walk as you have us for a pattern. And then verses 18 and 19, he gives the negative example. There are those who are walking as enemies of the cross of Christ, as he explains in verse 18, and do not set their mind on heavenly things. Instead, at the end of verse 19, who set their minds on earthly things. So he's kind of saying, don't walk like the enemies of Christ who set their mind on earthly things. And then the reader is supposed to say, well, why not, Paul? And then we have verse 20, because our citizenship is in heaven. (laughs) right? So we look, we eagerly wait for Christ. So that's kind of the flow of his logic there. Don't live like an enemy of Christ. Live like a citizen of heaven, part of his kingdom. So the way he's instructed them is to follow the pattern of those who live for heaven. He says, join in following my example and note others who walk this way. You know, look for those 
who are living for heaven and pattern your life after them. Find others who are focused on the eternal kingdom, on living their citizenship of heaven, and begin to pattern your life. This is a, another way to explain discipleship. When you pattern your life after someone else, it's like the followers did after, when they patterned their life after Jesus. Okay, so uh, it's this sense of following the pattern of those who live for heaven. There's a few notes here. We're not focused on earthly things. That's the end of verse 19. So we're not walking like those who set their minds on earthly things. We're participating in discipleship. That's verse 17, following the pattern of those who live for heaven. And then as we read in 1 Thessalonians 2.12, we're walking worthy of our calling. Right? So our eyes are fixed above. We're, We're focused on heavenly things, not on earthly things. We're patterning our lives after others that we see living this way. Whoa, there's a person focused on heaven. Ding, 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 ding. There's a life I can pattern my life after. That's kind of the the clue Paul is giving here. And then we read this one already. I eagerly wait for Jesus, verses 20 and 21. Eyes to the sky, looking for his return. That's my home, and I can't wait for the Lord to come for me. And when he comes, verse 21... He will transform our lowly body so that it may be conformed to His glorious body according to the working by which He's able even to subdue all things to Himself. So part of that being uh, inheriting His kingdom is a new body as well, which we look forward to. Pretty cool. All right. We moved through those first few pretty quickly, but there you have those blanks. Uh, Let's think about our next text, 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 4 and 5. Who had that one? Yeah, so part of being a kingdom citizen is enduring suffering during this life. And the Apostle Paul is commending the Thessalonians for the way that they endured with patience and faith. And so there's your blank. They endured suffering with patience and faith. And he commends them for it. And he he prays that they'll be... Through their suffering, they'll be seen or counted as worthy for this kingdom. And that as aliens in this land, there will be times that we as heavenly citizens suffer and are persecuted. It's part of what comes with it. And so we do so, we, we, we represent our citizenship well by suffering with patience and faith. We endure it with long suffering and we trust the Lord through those times. That's part of the value of a gathering with fellow heavenly citizens. That as we face suffering in our own little realms, we encourage one another to do so with patience and faith. Keep looking up. He's coming. He's coming. And that's what it means to be a citizen of heaven and living on the earth, right? All right, next, let's go to Hebrews 12, 28. Who had that one? Timothy. Let us give thanks, and through this let us offer worship pleasing to God in devotion and awe. 
Okay. It feels really unfair to not study the rest of Hebrews 12 because it's just this really rich and powerful passage. And this is just kind of his like final conclusion. So I feel like we've fast-forwarded through all the good stuff and just read the ending of the book or whatever. Uh, but anyway, this is a, a neat statement. And um, the gravity of that phrase, an unshakable kingdom, strikes so much harder if you've studied the whole chapter. It's really fun. Anyway, our future kingdom with the Lord is unshakable. And that's just so encouraging, right? It, it, it's immovable. It can't be destroyed. It's permanent forever. Oh, so many good things with that. It's unshakable. But the way he applies that is really interesting. He actually says, so then you can, uh, would you read the phrase one more time, Timothy? Let us give thanks, and through this, let us offer worship to God in devotion and Okay, thank you. So that phrase, let us give thanks, is an interesting phrase. It's literally, let us have grace. And that phrase is sometimes used to say, give thanks, and other times it's used to request grace. <laughs> uh, so it's kind of a bi-directional thing, which I think is actually probably what it means, <laughs> that we commune with the Lord and most often need His grace and then give Him thanks when He gives it to us. But that leads to appropriate worship, appropriate worship or service. Some of your Bible translations may say service there. And so here's the way I've summarized it. As a citizen of God's kingdom, this unshakable kingdom, I serve God by grace. And you could add, with thanksgiving, right? Um, so because my future kingdom is unshakable, I draw on God's grace. I give Him thanks. And in this life, it leads to service and worship. So what an interesting application of that. I think it's really fun uh, to think that through. Part of the reason we serve is because our kingdom is unshakable. Cool. All right, James 2.5. Who had that one? Dell. Okay. So here's a, another reference to the kingdom. And in the context, it's talking about favoritism or partiality. And the little bit of logic he used to prove to us that we should not show favoritism. You remember James, we studied it a while ago. Uh, you know, the rich man comes into the room and it's like, oh, here, take this honorable seat. And James is like, no, 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 no. And his point is, didn't God call the poor and give them this incredible inheritance in his kingdom? And <clears throat> hint, hint, we're the poor <laughs> given this incredible inheritance of his kingdom. And so he's sort of pointing out, why are you showing favoritism? God didn't show favoritism. He was kind to the poor. He gave you citizenship in his kingdom. And so citizens of his kingdom don't show favoritism. We don't show partiality. We don't love people because of what they have to offer us. That's the idea of this text. There's no partiality. All right, who had 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10? Carrie. Okay, we could have spent the whole time on these two verses. There's a ton there. They're really rich, uh, encouraging expressions of what God has done for us uh, in, in giving us his mercy in making us a people and, and so on and so forth. We won't dig into all of that. There's a little phrase in there that tells us based on all these things that God has done for us, 
there's something you should do. And it's this, it says, so that you may, and I don't remember exactly how your translation said it, but do you want to say it again? Perfect. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him or proclaim his praises is, I think, the way the New King James puts it. Um, so he's done all these things. He's made us a people. He's called us out of darkness into his light. He's shown us mercy, all of this, so that I can proclaim his praises. So a citizen of heaven is quick to speak about its wonderful king, the one who saved me and loved me and showed me mercy. That's part of why he did it. So I proclaim his praises. And uh, when we think of earthly rulers, um, man, how much more fun would it be to just talk about Jesus all the time instead of (laughs) an earthly politicians, right? Ah. Yeah, what a God we serve, and He's been so kind to us. So may we be a people that proclaim His praises. There's something fun to talk about. All right, next two verses. They're still there in 1 Peter 2. Rod. A lot of things, again, a lot of things we could say there. We're called sojourners, pilgrims in a foreign land. And uh, on the negative side, he tells us to stay away from worldly lusts. And on the positive side, he tells us to live honorably. And so that's the side I've summarized. Uh, I live as an honorable sojourner. Good testimony in the world. And he goes on in verse 13 and actually applies that then to submitting to governing authorities as a part of my testimony. Um, as a recognition of God's authority, as a citizen of heaven, as part of keeping that honorable testimony as a sojourner, abstaining from evil and worldly lusts and living honorably, walking worthy of my citizenship. All right, so these are just some of the mentions in the New Testament about how we live as citizens of heaven. I was surprised how many times it came up kind of shocked me. I was like, oh man, there's a lot of passages that talk about how we live based on the fact that we have a different home. This world is not our home. All right, so there's some things there. Last passage we'll go to. Uh, I think we're all caught up on the blanks. Uh, Let's go ahead and go over to the book of Revelation because this is just really fantastic. We'll start in Revelation 5, and then we'll go to uh, Revelation chapter 20. So we already read uh, Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10, but I just want to look at them again. Uh, It's the Lamb who was slain that has redeemed us to God, to be God's people in this kingdom. And... uh, Again, whether your translation says that he's made us kings or whether it says he's made us a kingdom, uh, it doesn't make a big difference because both are true. We will reign with Christ. We're unified with Christ and we're part of that ruling structure in the kingdom as you'll see in chapter 20 in just a little bit. And uh, the point is we are also called priests to God, which is really interesting. Um, So in the Old Testament, the priest, well... Just think of the two roles. Maybe this is helpful. The prophet was 
represented God to the people, right? So words from God to the people. The priest is the opposite, represented the people to God, right? So that's kind of the flow of things. Prophets gave the word to the people. Priest took from the people to God and was paying for their sins, was representing the people before God, okay? So that's sort of the role of the priest. And so the idea is that we will have, actually we do have now, this close relationship with God as priests. First Peter 2, uh, uh, 9 through 12, the passage we looked at just a second ago, talked about how we've been made priests um, because of our relationship with God in Christ. Pretty cool. We have a relationship. We can commune with God um, because of what he's made us to be. So two kind of fun attributes there about uh, our participation in the kingdom, reigning with Christ, part of that ruling body in the kingdom. So let's go over to Revelation 20. And verses 4 through 6 talk about when this will be unveiled. The end of the tribulation. Satan is bound for a thousand years. And this is uh, when uh, the millennial kingdom is inaugurated here in verses 4 through 6. I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the, worship, or for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Okay? So there's that millennial kingdom. When we will reign with Christ, that's our homeland. That's our future kingdom. Now, it doesn't end at the end of the millennial kingdom. It is absorbed into the eternal kingdom. There's something that happens in between the millennial kingdom and the eternal kingdom. So the millennial kingdom is the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel. Christ as the Davidic king over Israel. And it's the process by which Christ makes all enemies his footstool. And then as 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, then when he's done that, he hands it all over to the Father. And the Father and the Lamb reign together forevermore. And so it's between the millennial kingdom and the eternal kingdom that the new heaven and the new earth are set up. right? And the new Jerusalem floats down out and hovers above the earth. And that is then the eternal kingdom forevermore. And so think of it as the millennial kingdom kind of being ushered into the eternal kingdom. It's not so much that you know, one ends and another starts. The same ruler is over all. Uh, the same people, those who've trusted in Christ, are present and so on and so forth. There's just sort of that transition in between uh, when the new heaven and new earth are given, when all evil is put down forevermore after all of Christ's enemies are made his footstool and it's all handed over for his co-reign with the Father. Pretty cool stuff. Pretty cool stuff to think about. And that's what we have to look forward to. Uh, so not just for the thousand years, it starts there, but to reign with Christ forevermore in his eternal kingdom. Where And man, we could just spend hours in Revelation uh, 21 and 22, just enjoying the descriptions of our future home. And I encourage you to do so. Long for that place. Keep your eyes fixed on your home. Look to the skies for the return of Christ. Listen for the trumpet. <laughs> the 
you have a child or a friend that plays the trumpet, you know, it ought to alarm you every time that goes up. Is that it? Oh, nope, still here. All right, well, never mind. Get excited about your future home. If you've trusted in Christ, that's where we are headed. There's such hope and encouragement in that. Paid for by Christ, secured and sealed, permanent access, citizens even now. So let's close in prayer. Father, we praise you for what you've done in Christ. We marvel at your kingdom. You even now reign supreme over the universe. Nothing happens outside of your control. But Father, we look forward to the day. Oh, we long for the day when you will put all evil down, when every act will be repaid, when justice will be meted out. And we praise you that in Christ you have forgiven us our sins and given us access to this kingdom that we may reign with him forever. We rejoice. Help us to set our hearts on that land and to look to him and to live appropriately worthy of citizens as citizens of heaven while we're here on earth. And we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.